Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. On today's show, I speak to New York Assembly member Ron Kim. He represents Assembly District 40 in New York. I also speak to journalist David Sirota. Both David Sirota and Ron Kim have helped expose Governor Andrew Cuomo's cover-up of nursing home deaths. David Sirota is a journalist, Denverite, founder of The Daily Poster, editor-at-large of Jacobin, columnist at The Guardian, and he worked for Bernie in 2000 and then again in 2020. Please become Patreon supporters of The Katie Halper Show at patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. You'll be able to access a panel discussion that's pretty funny with guests Brianna Joy Gray, Ed Angueso, Justin Jackson, and Trevor Bullio, where we react to Joe Biden's latest town hall. Hello, and we're live. Hello, and welcome to The Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper, and we have a great show for you guys today. We're going to be talking to Ron Kim, a New York assemblyman who is fighting the good fight. And a way that you know you're fighting the good fight is when uh, Andrew Cuomo threatens you. Um, He does all sorts of great work also, uh, in addition to getting Andrew Cuomo angry. And um, he's going to be talking to us about the way that Cuomo covered up nursing home deaths. Um, And that's a really... Really important story, and it's getting so little attention. Not the cover-up, but the reasons why he had to cover these numbers up in the first place. And um, we're also going to be talking to David Sirota, who has done um, really important investigative journalism work around this very subject. In fact, there's some clips um, and interviews from earlier this summer where David was talking about why um, Cuomo was sneaking in some immunity um, for... Uh, negligence. And we'll get into that later. But going to bring on my co-host with the my host, Leslie Lee. Hello, Leslie. Hey, how's it going, Kate? Thank you so much uh, for having me back. But I am the co-host. I you guess are I, the co-host, I, yeah. It, it's like that thing that Trump said about uh, Elizabeth Warren's uh, husband when she thanked him for coming on her stream. He's, <gasps> it's the funniest tweet ever where he says, why is she thanking him? It's his house. He's supposed to be there. Yeah, that's really, that's very Sometimes I just miss him on Twitter. I know, he's a very very funny man. Okay, I was telling him while you were gone that if you notice, I have a couple extra letters behind my name. Oh my God, you guys, that is so exciting. Leslie is now a master. Master, master. That's so cool. I'm I'm very happy with it. I want to be clear. I'm still a regular Joe like all of you, Um, but I will be lording this over all of my enemies and one person who's not my enemy in particular. He is, I think we're head to head with him right now. And that's Chris Hayes. You know, I love Chris Hayes. I, I well, I used to. I used to. I re- used to really love Chris Hayes. I thought and he was like, this does not represent anyone else on the show, by the way. Leslie speaks for himself, and ha- his having a master's does not make him have any more authority. Yes, okay. but I do want to say I do have authority on Chris Hayes because I mean, I, I am. You know, I used to think he was the smartest guy in the world, but now I got one up on him. Now I got one up on Chris Hayes. So I don't know. Do you want to watch the evening uh, news show with the guy without the masters or the guy with the masters? I, I, you can't be Kate, the Katie Halper show. She's bringing the best people in the world. I am. I am. So, yeah. So that's all I'm saying is that I'm very happy for you. And I can't believe it. I mean, honestly, it's almost worth as much as a KH after your name, which is what you get <laughs> when you're you're a CHKH co-host of the Katie Halper show. So, yeah. Um, well, yes. Thank you so much. And everyone, everyone, the reason that I'm being a little bit um, uh, frazzled as opposed to my usual, very, um, you know, centered self is because I came in 
from getting my vaccine. Um, and so I had to reset up and there was, yeah, anyway, it's a big thing. We'll get into that later. We're going to get into the, like the fans, not fancier. I don't want to say that. This is the official, like very, um, it's the master's program, half of the show. And we're going to be talking to an assemblyman and a journalist. And then we're going to take a little break. And that's when Leslie and I can talk more about my personal life, my getting a vaccine, nothing exciting in my personal life, but, um, just, you know, whatever. We may see a dog later on, a Bodhi <laughs> appearance. And um, then we're going to watch some, uh, we're going to do a, a, a binge watching, a clip watching of some Biden um, responses to the town hall. But let's, should we just, let's get to the um, master's program of the of the evening and bring on um, Assemblyman uh, Ron Kim, as well as journalist David Sirota. Hello. Hey there. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Of course. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Good. Um, You both are, uh, it it does kind of come full full circle. I got my vaccine today and, um, you know, I do live in New York State. And so. um, I'm uh, jealous that you got your vaccine. Yeah. You haven't gotten it yet? No, no. uh, I haven't gotten it. No, no. Uh, Ron, have you gotten it? I have not. Yeah, we're unvaccinated. High five, high five. Wow. Unvaccinated. <laughs> Leslie? Well, no, no, not yet. No. Wow. So I'm like, you have MA, but I have VA. <laughs> vaccinated, yeah. Vaccinated, uh, yeah. yes, yes. Well, uh, that's very uh, fortunate uh, for you, but you know. No uh, one knows think... wants to know why? Oh, why? You think I'm just lording? It's not like I dropped it. it people don't know I'm the host of the Katie Halper yeah. show when I decide to get the vaccine. Yeah. No, um, no, because I have. Okay, David, you're probably with me on this, or a lot of our relatives are. I have asthma. Ah, uh, yes. No. I have. So, I have anxiety. Oh, okay. Does that's that, the other. That, the that other yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety, <laughs> asthma, and any yeah, any of those. Uh, or, or as I call it, I also uh, I, I have early onset OJMS. What's OJMS? For about, it's a very serious condition. Uh, old Jewish man syndrome. Oh, early you, onset. you Bad did. Bad stomach, yeah. anxiety, you know, sometimes dark phases of a little bit of depression, you know, uh, sort of being uh, uh, overly OCD. Yes. Those are all the symptoms of early onset right. old Jewish man syndrome. <laughs> FOF, fear of fascism, yeah, um, totally, perhaps. Totally. And, yes. uh, well, you, and also, I mean, I, I think that you were follicularly ahead of your time in terms of the shade of your hair, which is very yes, nice. Yes, yes. Early, early onset, gray, yeah. gray hair, no. 10, 15 years ago at this point, yeah. really. It's a good look, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank it. you. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank yeah, it you. looks good. Um, so almost as important as this, and anything you would like to share, Ron, about yourself? Um, like any, you know, you're an elected official, you may want not want to share any, any kind of, um, neuroses that you have, and I'm sure you don't have them anyway, but, um, if there's anything interesting you want to tell us about yourself. I, I am getting my gray hair, you know, David, I know you, how old are you, 38 now, 39? No, I'm 45, 45, 45. 45. Yeah, 45. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely catching up with the gray hair now, especially this week, my wife was yes. like, did you just get like, your hair just turned gray. Like yeah. <laughs> so, so, so true story. And I feel like I can tell this story that that people listening will appreciate it. I happened to go gray, uh, in the year that I was the final year that I was working for, um, the center for American progress. Uh, oh. when I was working, I, true story, when I was working for the center for American progress, uh, and I was actually in a kind of, kind of, 
low-grade conflict with them when I was putting out stuff about Joe Biden's bankruptcy bill, and they didn't want me to, and it was a highly stressful experience. Wow. And this is the permanent, um, the permanent effect of that. So, so it's Biden's fault. Right. Like, uh, like, I don't know if y'all seen Twin Peaks. I'm wearing a Twin Peaks shirt now, but there's a scene where a guy confronts like this ultimate evil and his hair immediately turns all white. Yes, it's Joe Biden's fault that I went early gray. That's wow. exactly right. A true wow. story. Wow. Well, yeah, we can. He'll probably be able to hook you up with something. If you go to one of his town halls, I'm sure you can ask him about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, someone, Kim, please tell us why you're um, especially stressed out these days. Um, also, one thing, you have very cute daughters. I saw you at a Bernie um, oh, that's right. uh, that's Queens right. at the Queens yeah. rally, and your daughters yeah. are adorable. So and You sent me some pictures. I did, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, they're so cute. That was um, some rally. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I wish I could go back to that moment. I know, yeah. Such then, an amazing, amazing speech. And AOC showed up. Yeah. And that was, yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's a stressful week. Yeah, you know, so, yes. Um, you know, within one week... Um, you know, I try to, they try to rope me in into Cuomo's world of lies multiple times, privately, on a phone call, publicly. Um, and then we exposed, you know, the everything and within within a week. It just happened so quickly, right? Like they had a, his top aide, and we had a private meeting with six lawmakers, and then she accidentally told the truth. You know, she slipped. You know, it was like you know, in that movie, A Few Good Men, when that mm. Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise. She, I was actually thinking of that movie when this was going down. Like, you know, she had all the scripts. They're going the scripts. The commissioner, there's a commissioner, all the excuses, and and my 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 colleagues are like, well, just keep interrupting. That's not true. Like, what happened here? What happened here? And all of a sudden, she's like, you want the truth? I will tell you the truth. Really? Did she, she say something comparable? That's what I like something very similar. Got like, it. Yeah. 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 You can take it or leave it. This is the truth. Nothing but the truth. And then she goes into saying that uh, there was political football and we didn't know what data to give because it was going to be used against Andrew Cuomo. And I was, everyone was like texting. It was a virtual phone call, right? So people were texting. Uh, did she just commit? Uh, did, did she just incriminate herself? Like, all the red flags went up. And in that moment, it was no longer a private discussion. She incriminated all of us in that moment. So can you set this up a little bit? You're you're in a private meeting. What are what are you talking about? Um, yeah, yeah. So this was the meeting to go over a list of questions that that we submitted at an August oversight hearing around nursing home deaths six, uh, six and a half months ago. They were supposed to get back to us in two weeks stonewall nothing no communication and then there's attorney general drops a bombshell report in january all the stuff david you and i talked about validated in a report on legal immunity the under reporting the profit motives she just dropped this report and i and i got a report they called me at 8 a.m that morning when I got the report, and I, I I cried a little bit because I felt like David and I were the only ones like screaming and and people weren't paying attention, and that report came and that led to them being forced to release all the numbers. And before they did that, they gathered us up for a private meeting, trying to alleviate the tension. Uh, we're gonna do this. We're gonna answer all your questions now. In the middle of a two-hour session. 
uh, the Secretary of the State had that moment um, where she actually accidentally told the truth. And uh, David, from your perspective, can you talk a little bit about how you um, uh, found out about, you know, how, how you even knew that Cuomo had, had snuck this um, immunity into the budget? Like, how did you even, I don't even know, as it, like, were you just looking through budgets or how did it happen? Well, look, so so uh, legislators, Ron Kim being one of them, uh, you know, uh, we're trying to sound the alarm about this. Uh, and t- to be frank, the the budget passed in April in which Cuomo put this uh, corporate immunity provision into the law. Uh, and, you know, it took a couple of weeks to kind of for people to wake up to it because, you know, it's a giant budget bill. Uh, it funds the whole state government in a very big state. Uh, people like Ron were sounding the alarm. We reported out the story based on, you know, Ron pointing us to it. And we then we did our own independent reporting on it. And, you know, I think everybody needs to understand just how extreme the measure uh, was that was put into the state budget. And just as an aside, Having to slip it into a state budget instead of passing it as a standalone bill, granted, like that, that may be tradition, but what that ends up preventing is a sort of fully aired out public debate. In other words, that wasn't a, an accident. If you want to put really nasty things into law, you one tactic would be to put it onto a into a giant five you know five thousand page bill, a moving train kind of bill, a must pass bill, uh, so that the whole debate is about you know the entire state budget. It isn't about your one provision. Now, so so. So the point in saying that is, is that it sort of creates the idea of motive here. In other words, what's put into that bill, the provisions like this, it's not an accident that they're kind of buried in the fine print. And in the case of of this uh, immunity bill, what we learned was that the major group that pushed this bill that in fact said and touted and bragged that it drafted the provision. Uh, was one of Andrew Cuomo's top donors. More than $2 million of money uh, from this group, the Greater New York Hospital Association and its lobby firms, flowed to Cuomo's political machine uh, in about the year and a half leading up to this situation. And then that group, the Greater New York Hospital Association, bragged that it had drafted a provision that the Cuomo administration put into this giant budget bill, slipped, really slipped into this giant budget bill. And here's what the provision said, and, and, and this is why it's, it's so important to look at the actual language, which is to say that the language said that not only are frontline physicians, nurses, frontline healthcare workers uh, granted uh, a level of, of significant immunity from potential lawsuits, uh, from people who feel like they were mistreated or or families whose uh, family members were killed during COVID because of bad business practices. It actually then also explicitly said that the corporate executives, board members, and other corporate officials of the nursing homes, the nursing home companies, they are also immune. Uh, they are also shielded from potential lawsuits. And as the New York Attorney General's report has now subsequently said, and what we reported at the time was, what what that does is that removes a deterrent to corporate malfeasance. That, That the threat of private lawsuits 
is the major deterrent to a corporate executive who maybe runs a nursing home who's thinking, I can provide uh, adequate, uh, spend extra money to provide adequate staffing, uh, protective equipment, and all sorts of other uh, uh, safety measures. Uh, I can spend adequate money to increase those protections, or I can maximize profits. I can cost cut uh, to maximize profits in ways that potentially jeopardize people's lives. That a threat of a lawsuit is the deterrent to making the unsafe decision. Uh, and that when you effectively, preemptively immunize the corporate executives uh, from potential lawsuits, you are saying to them that the decisions you make to maximize your company's profits that may endanger elderly people, may endanger, frankly, uh, frontline healthcare workers themselves, that those decisions, you will not have to worry about facing consequences. And so that's why this is so important. This is not a technical issue, right? If your older family member is in a nursing home, you should want the corporate executive uh, who is making those kinds of corporate decisions to have to fear legal consequences if they make decisions that endanger your family member's life. And that's what, what Cuomo slipped into the budget, which was to say to those corporate executives at the behest of his big donor, you don't have to worry about those consequences. Yeah, they, uh, oh, so, I'm sorry. No. I, I just thought that was a really uh, brilliant point because usually people get caught up in the, oh, they're getting immunity because they're just greedy corporate people. But no, that disincentivizes them to doing their job and people's lives are on the line. I mean, we talk about moral hazard all the time where we talk about giving people like health insurance and stuff. I can't think of a bigger moral hazard than saying a bunch of corporations who are in charge of the life and death of you know, thousands of people and saying, you know what, you're not going to be held responsible for anything that happens. And, and the amazing thing is, and, and, and Ron, you should talk about it, which is that Ron put out a report after uh, the immunity provision was slipped into the law. He put out a report detailing uh, the potential effects of this in his effort as we reported, to try to repeal the immunity. And and Ron, tell them about what you yeah. found in, in, in that report. Yeah, we did three total reports. In the first report we published in May, we gathered, we gathered all the data around the country um, and looked at all the states that had similar provisions, illegal immunity, New York being the golden standard, the, the worst of its kind. And there were about 20 states that had that. And 77% of all the fatalities came from those 20 states. Uh, those, the states with the worst legal immunity, the highest number of deaths. So we proved early that there's a direct correlation, especially in a place like New York, but it's 65% of the industry are for profits, for profits. These are private for-profit corporations. They're, they have a fiduciary duty at every quarter to report back to the shareholders profits. And that, those are the people that Governor Cuomo gave a legal immunity, and we called it out. And we'll, we'll get into why the, the cover-up is now tied deeply into this. And, and that's really the core of the cover-up, because if we had real-time information and data, we would have been able to repeal legal immunity. I had a bill, Senator, a bunch of senators pushed for it. We were now getting it out there, but all of a sudden, the data decreased by 50%. Or I don't know exactly when, I think around May or June, they decoupled people who die from hospitals 
and for nursing home residents. So think about what they did. So if you're a nursing home resident and you're sick and you're transferred to a hospital and died in a hospital, they stopped counting that death toward nursing home residents. So all of a sudden, the numbers decreased by 50%. New York doesn't look that bad. They're like, oh, we're number 38. He kept saying that on the press conference. But I'm like, governor, that's not right. Give us all the data. You have it. Excuse after excuse. The software doesn't match up. The hospital number, the initials doesn't match up. The number of lies that went in to cover that up was amazing. Um, and that's why they covered it up. Because if we had the data, we would have legislated and gotten our repealing uh, the immunity retroactively. And that would have impacted his uh, business donors that supported his campaigns in the past. So what they do, right, is that when they're kind of cornered, um, his... Um... Uh, his uh, appointee is it uh, your lo- what she's the I forgot her position the secretary woman of the governor. Governor. secretary yeah. okay Go- secretary of state secretary of governor secretary is it the, the, what what's what it technically I... called Ron secretary to the governor she's the second highest ranking okay. um, appointed person in the state so the secretary to the governor um, when she's cornered she says oh we didn't want to give the numbers because we didn't want Trump to attack us and use that to um, not give us resources and funds so what is your response to that uh, claim well we were just we we're texting like because <laughs> we realized what just happened and we also had outside observers we asked that we were allowed to have one staff member to observe the meeting um, so we're just Trying to, and the, well, the meeting continued. That was, you know, we had another hour after that. Um, but right up to that moment, Katie, it was because they're giving us the same excuses. And, and my colleagues were like, not good enough, not good enough. You know, put your bullshit. I don't want to hear it. Can I curse? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and and, and then it. Melissa is like, you want the truth. This is what happened. And then she went off for about a minute and a half admitting that there was a cover-up. The first time they admitted that there was a cover-up, they took away my right to legislate. I have a job to do. I have a job to protect my constituents, by, and by not disclosing the data, I couldn't do my job to save my people who died unnecessarily in the last 10 months. Yeah. And, and can you talk about, oh, David, do you want to respond to that? I haven't followed up. No, question, I, mean, but... it's, it, I mean, Ron's exactly right. The only thing I, I, would, I would say is that, you know, um, the the argument from Cuomo's uh, aides were both can be both um, right. Uh, they can speak a political truth, but they are not a legal truth. By that I mean the quote from from Melissa De Rosa, Cuomo's top aide, was when asked about by the legislators, why did you not release this information? was, quote, we froze because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if what we were going to give to the Department of Justice or what we were going to give to you guys, she's speaking to the legislators, to to you guys, what we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. Now, it's the, the point I would make is that it's certainly true that, that Trump's, the top of Trump's Justice Department was politicized. But so... It's true that a politicized Justice Department may be more inclined to use, a politicized Republican-run Justice Department may be more inclined to use uh, incriminating information against a Democratic governor. But that's not a legal 
rationale right. for withholding information from that Justice Department or from state legislators. That's obstruction of justice. Like you can't just you can't just run into court and be like, hey, I didn't give up the information because the prosecutor was mean or was right. going to be mean to me. Like that's right. not a rash. That's not a rationale. Like that's not a legal rationale. Even though, even though, again, you can stipulate that it may be politically true that Donald Trump's uh, Justice Department is politicized. It sure, still is not a legal rationale right. for saying we're not going to release. Uh, information about a death toll in nursing homes in our state, right? Like that is almost classic obstruction of justice kind of behavior. And the point about the context here is that in the context of withholding the information at a time when you are doing the bidding of your donor, who has asked you to give uh, corporate immunity to nursing home executives. We're going to give nursing homes a liability shield from lawsuits about nursing home deaths while we're also going to hide and withhold nursing home death information from public officials, right? It's like you put the the data points on a table and it starts to it starts to look like motive. Now, was that the only motive? We don't know. Was part of the motive that Cuomo himself just didn't want to look like he was overseeing a an, an absolute disaster while he was promoting a book, while he was right. being on CNN giving kind of a recurring slot, he was getting an Emmy, he was he was the media golden boy. I mean, all these things can you maybe maybe it was all all those things at once. But the point is, is that you have the withholding of information plus the motive of you're doing the bidding of your huge donor who wants uh, to immunize, to grant a liability shield to the executives in the middle of this, right? That's the definition of not acting in the public interest. Right. That's the, that's the irony. It's like, it's not a legal excuse, obviously, but it's also hard to take it seriously as like, oh, you're really just doing cutting out all corners, whatever you can do to save lives. Like, no, that's obviously. And at the same time, you're coincidentally giving immunity. And the irony of the word immunity in this context, when we're talking about a virus also, um, is just like kind of striking. Um, but uh, I thought that also kind of I don't know if she planned this. Like, I don't know if she planned to say, oh, we were protecting ourselves from from Trump weaponizing this information. But it was so perfect because I've said this a bunch on this show and on Useful Idiots with Matt Taibbi. And, I, you know, that like the that the difference between well, there are many differences between Trump and and uh, Cuomo. But the only thing that Cuomo needed to do to be turned into a hero was say was not say something like inject um, bleach into your lungs and sound rational, right? And sound in control. And that was it. And it actually is kind of true. And it also speaks to the way that the but Trump framing was so dangerous because it was literally anything that's not Trump is permissible or better than the alternative. And this is a case where, no, like this wasn't, uh, there, there was. St this is stuff that people would would expect from Trump, and would rightly condemn Trump for. But it's someone who's a Democrat, who you know pretends to be good on on social issues. By the way, we should definitely cut in here later if we edit this into something shorter. But um, Cuomo saying, as a New Yorker, I'm a Jew, I'm a gay man, I'm a lesbian, I'm black. Leslie, do you know about this? You're facing no, no, that. Yeah, heard it. yeah, we'll find it later. I'll put it in. He said it multiple times. Anyway, it's a great, it's really good. He deserved that Emmy, guys. He deserved it because I believed him. And he deserved <laughs> that Emmy because he he was able to trick people for so long about, you know, being much, much, much better than Trump. 
Um, well, uh, well, it's easy to trick people when you your brother has like is on uh, national news yeah. for like eight hours a day. Yeah, another <laughs> it's pretty easy of, of interest. Yeah, um, and you, um, Ron, experienced this personally too, right? You lost your uncle. Um, c- can you talk about that? Yeah, I did. Um, so, in the middle of trying to support my constituents, who reached out to me, Dad loved ones in the nursing homes in April. This was, uh, we didn't talk about the March 25th order where he mandated up to 9,000 COVID positives into nursing homes for almost two months while he was giving out legal immunity. So at the very peak of that, as you can imagine, people were reaching out and saying, I can't get access. I know that this place is understaffed and my mom is behind there and she's getting exposed to COVID. I was outside of of a nursing home fighting and and talking to social media. I think the New York Times has shown up because I was trying to expose what was going on. And right at that time, when I'm fighting for my constituents, my uncle got ill and he died in a matter of days uh, of presumed uh, COVID. And, you know, he was the reason why I'm here today. So he is the reason uh, why my parents were able to immigrate here. Uh, He sponsored our visa uh, he was a he was a veteran and he was a US Army captain and he was a dentist. The only thing that I would say is that he was also a Republican, one of the first Korean American Republicans in Queens wow. ever. And he was a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Um, hence the name Ron. He oh gave my me gosh. my name. And, name? Ironic- wow. and ironically, I'm spending my entire adult career undoing every right. fucking thing that Reagan has ever done. Sure. So that's, you know, that's my story that's about it. my uncle, but for him to die alone in pain, because I know you read about it, you heard the stories, but it's not an easy mm. process when you can't breathe and your lungs are going out and you're asking to go. People are asking to die because it's too painful. Um, and with no funeral in sight, you know, there's 15,000 other people who had to go through similar experiences. So that's what happened to my uncle. Um, and yeah. Um, and after that, you know, we've, uh, continued to fight, but eventually, um, it just became overwhelming. And that's when we started talking to Dave, um, trying to expose what was going on with legal immunity, the situation of Como. And he broke one of the the first earliest stories. It was a blockbuster story. It was uh, reported out in a number of public, the Daily Poster, the uh, the Guardian, a number of stories that tied everything together. Um, And that's what really started this whole thing. Yeah, and it's interesting because I saw, um, I I heard you uh, on the Brian Lehrer show, Ron, um, and you know, you mentioned the immunity thing and, and Brian Lehrer was kind of like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even put that into the introduction because something that's kind of not surprising, sadly, but is infuriating is that no one's really mentioning this. Like you see people finally kind of talking about the story. It's just like too too shocking and, and significant just on a, on a numbers level to, to ignore. But they're not bringing up the, you know, potential ulterior motive that that by, that uh, Cuomo had. Uh, have you seen that penetrate at all? I mean, obviously, Daily Poster, which is a great site, which everyone should support. But are other people picking this up? Um, yeah. And, and at the time, we had other like Associated Press started reporting on it. The New York Times did a piece. But Cuomo had a narrative. Um, and he just 
you know, hid all the numbers and came up with all these excuses. And at a point where David knows I published three reports and nothing was being done. So like I actually, my staff and I put a package together and dropped it off to the United Nations at some point saying there is a violation of human rights going on here. People are dying and, and there is a, and, and, and there's a, there's a crime against humanity that we have to document this for our history. And, and I was at that point, people, my staff thought I was like, they thought I was losing it. Um, but I honestly felt like I saw the truth. It's like the allegory of the cave. I felt like, you know, I saw light, you know, and then everyone else is in the <laughs> cave and everyone else is trying to destroy me because I'm telling them, hey, there's light here, come out. Um, that's literally how I felt with David and a few select lawmakers for months. Yeah, for people who don't know the allegory of the cave, it's just the matrix. It's like when Neo gets out of the matrix. This is exact. It's literally the exact same thing. Yeah. So save you. Yeah, don't worry about yeah, that. And yeah, I, I, I like people thought you were losing. It. Like somebody should be losing it. How like how can you see what's happening yeah. now and not lose your mind? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like there's been so much suffering, so much death, and the people who are supposed to be in charge of you know helping us and stopping this are lying, covering their own asses, you know, recording, writing books and selling books in the middle of it, in the middle of it. Imagine, imagine yeah, like the, in the yeah. middle of World War II, like Churchill is like writing a memoir and putting it out. Like it just completely mind boggling. So it really is. And it's it's like, what, what can, so what can be done now? Um, there's, there's, I mean, this highlights so many things, including obviously why it's so um, immoral to have a private, uh, you know, a um, for-profit healthcare system. But what can be done in terms of um, nursing homes being, uh, you know, so many of them being privatized? Um, what can be done in terms of Cuomo? And then, oh, last thing, uh, tell us, of course, what he what he said to you. Maybe that can be the transition. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So going back, so a few months down the line, um, so last week, uh, after that private meeting, uh, the, the news broke of what happened. And um, an hour later, uh, after the news broke, I get a call around 8 p.m. on last Thursday evening, uh, 7.54 p.m. I remember the time. Um, and my wife was there. I, I'm trying to bathe my three girls. Um, I get a generic governor's number on the phone, and um, I thought it was just like a press office. I pick up, and they said, hold on, I got the governor on the line for you. First time ever he's ever called me. I met him. I hung out with them. I had dinner with them at his house once. First time calling me on the phone. Um, and then there was like a lot of silence for like five seconds. I was like, governor? Governor? And, and the first words that came out, it was, Mr. Kim, are you an honorable man? I was like... What is that? Like, I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and then he just went off for 10 minutes and berating me at how he'll, t you know, ruin my life, go out into the public and just take me down if I basically don't issue a statement that night uh, as he outlined. You didn't hear what, that because you're not a lawyer. You don't have a law degree. So you misheard it. This is what she said. And this is what you're going to write. And this is what you're going to tell the speaker's office to to submit to the papers. Um, that was, that was the gist of it. And, and obviously that was the second time in one week they tried to implicate me, um, into the cover up. The first time was in the meeting. Now this time she, he's asking me to cover up the cover up. 
Um, that was the re- that's the reason why I came forward. If he wants to just have a shouting match, you know, and, and call me names, I can probably go into a corner and just, you know, take it or just curse back and just hang up and that's it. But the moment he crossed that line and asked me to do something unethical, um, plus the screaming and the terrorizing in front of my family, that was beyond uh, acceptable. And then I had to speak up because it wasn't just me. So many New Yorkers, New York politicals that went through similar situations, staff members of his administration started uh, texting, calling uh, members saying thank you. Um, mm. Like, because they're too afraid to speak up, but they're saying, I have to deal with this for years. Thank you for speaking up. Wow. Um, I'll someone, someone, um, well, thank you, by the way, for speaking up. Um, and, and what is, what's next? What can be done? What needs to be done? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a process to hold him accountability. The minimum, we have to protect the integrity of the Senate and the assembly. That means we have to take away his powers. Uh, to make sure that we can hold them accountable. Uh, that's next. But my job as the aging chair is still policy. I want to go back and undo all, everything that he's done that has led to more unnecessary deaths. Legal immunity is the top of it. During the budget, he cut 20% Medicaid. In the middle of a pandemic, mm. he cut 20% of Medicaid. So we need yeah. a just budget. I'm not talking about a flat budget. We need to invest in our New York, meaning really like forget the austerity budgets. This is the time to invest in home care, nurses, all the stuff that have been cut for 10 years underneath his austerity mindset. So that's the next uh, big step for New Yorkers. And um, David, do you have anything um, as a non-New Yorker, but as a, uh, you know, uh, well, look, I mean, I think I think the other context for this is uh, I think that um, the consequence of New York's immunity law cannot be overstated, not just in New York, but outside of New York, that New York's immunity laws we reported became the template for other states, their own nursing home immunity laws, that in some cases, states literally copied word for word New York's early nursing home uh, immunity law, a law to shield nursing home executives and hospital executives, that that became word for word a template for other states. And in fact, word for word, it was inserted into the Senate Republicans' corporate liability legislation like I'm talking about copy paste, like control C, control V from Andrew Cuomo's law into Mitch McConnell's proposal. And we reported that out. And so the point is, is that, that one thing on top of what can be done is, is that everyone needs to understand no matter where you live, there are, I think, 20 plus states that have now put on their books laws that grant immunity to nursing home executives during this pandemic, immunity for corporate decisions that potentially endanger uh, nursing home residents' lives. And so what can be done is like everybody who's watching this, listening to this, should see if their state is on the list. Because if you have somebody who in your family who's in a nursing home, they are potentially in a nursing home uh, that is run by uh, corporate executives and 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 ultimately parent corporations that that may potentially, if they're in one of those 20 plus states, that may know that they won't face the threat of a lawsuit if they make a decision to understaff the place, if they make a decision to not 
have adequate PPE. So this truly is a national issue. Uh, and, you know, we have to understand that it, frankly, it started in New York, that Ron's story is not just a story of New York. It's a story for the whole country. And how can people find that out, by the way? Well, I mean, that's a good that's a good question. There's no co one comprehensive place uh, to find out all of the uh, states. Although, I, I, if I'm remembering our, our two stories ago, if you go to our reporting at the Daily Poster, we have linked to uh, a couple of charts that show which states have put some form of corporate immunity uh, on uh, their books. And I and and I think the other general point is is that when you hear about liability protections, that that, right. that phrase liability protections, liability shields, you know, the Republicans screaming about lawsuits, what they are screaming about is the threat of uh, private actors being able to hold private corporations accountable when the government refuses to. That's the thing that I think people miss, miss in, in every debate, frankly, about liability reform, tort reform, quote unquote, is that the yeah, nobody likes to face a lawsuit, right? Like no, nobody wants to have to face a lawsuit. That's really, you know, n nobody wants that. But the reason why it's a societal value is, is because when the government refuses to enforce the law, when the administrative agencies refuse to enforce the law, at least there is a threat that if a company doesn't follow the law, that a private actor, a customer, a nursing home resident, et cetera, et cetera, can essentially ask the courts to enforce the law themselves. When you take that away and then you add that liability shield situation to a government in which uh, uh, public officials are often working for their campaign donors, then you're essentially taking away any deterrent for corporations uh, to, uh, to engage ethically. You're saying there's no, there's not really going to be a punishment uh, for corporations to trample people. That's why this is so important. It's kind of a conceptual issue, but if you think about it in terms of deterrent, like if you're running a nursing home, and you know, like, hey, I know I got, you know, Cuomo. I've given him a lot of money, so his agencies aren't going to really enforce the law on me. But you know, I still got to worry about the family members of the people who were staying in the nursing home. I still got to worry that I may get sued by them. So I better. I still better follow the law, even though I got, you know, maybe I got Andrew Cuomo and the New York, you know, officials, I got them in my pocket. I still got to worry that like, I may get, I may face a class action right. lawsuit. When you take away that, that fear, then it's like, you can do whatever you want. And like, I wouldn't want my family member living in a nursing home in which the corporation that runs the nursing home thinks it can do whatever it wants to my family member. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Katie. So, I mean, one thing that we forgot to mention was that we did able to repeal a part of that immunity provision in July. And we couldn't do that without all the reporting, all the, the things that came out of the Daily Poster and, and other articles following that from the New York Times and everything else. Um, and we, so we were able to prove that with all that thing, all the, all the light that we shone on this issue, that they had to act but they only modified prospectively after the bill was signed um, and only a part of the nursing home immunity. Not, and we pushed for retroactive because what they did in the original bill, when they passed it April 2nd, they went back retroactive to March, beginning of March. 
and give immunity for COVID and non-COVID patients in hospitals and nursing home residents. So if you were a patient and you were being treated in early March and something bad happened to you during a regular surgery and you, your right to sue and have recourse was retroactively taken away from you. What? Wow. So it's even worse than, wow. It's like so many levels of sorted. And um, really quickly before you guys leave, and I really am so grateful to you for your time. Um, a couple uh, comments and questions from the chat. A long story short says, please, um, please about the ambulance. I think please ask about the ambulance scandal. Um, some ambulances were forbidden to take patients to Javits Center or the SS Comfort. That is why they were underused. I don't know if either of you knows about that. Um, and then um, a really important uh, point here, which is that, uh, and I couldn't agree with this more, um, and it's why, one mm -hmm. of the reasons why daily posts are so important. Um, uh, John Michael writes, they thought they would get away with it because they knew the mainstream media would not ask any questions and figured the Democrat state legislature would go along. Thank God for Ron Kim and shows like this and Daily Poster and Dave Sirota. Thank you. Um, uh, Murphy also Lee. said thank you as well with a $99 wow. super chat. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Murphy. Wow. Thank you all. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, I'm always encouraging people to give to the, you know, Patreon for the show. Um, and, and Leslie does, too. Um and but also make sure that you uh, look at I mean, daily posting poster is so good. We should do a, a weekly poster or a monthly poster, David, where we come and do a breakdown. What of your stories? Um, I would love that. Yeah. And uh, our caller, our uh, Mr. Kim, I'm so sorry for I've been treated. I was a CNA for three years in an LTC long term care facility. Um, Gov Cuomo was a shameful bully to what this happened. Yeah. Terrible. It's, it's really it's really so disheartening because these are so these places are so important and they're going to be more important coming up because this is something that's how I lived in Japan for a few years and like the population there is really aging less people having less children so there's going to be a lot 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 of old people uh, in Japan they don't have as many long-term care facilities most people live with their family but in America like there's similar trends that's happening and a lot of people are going to be in these facilities and this is how we're like starting off we're saying if there's a pandemic then like nothing like you you don't get any protections they're they can do whatever they want to you yeah, Leslie, Leslie, I gotta actually, Katie, I gotta hop up, but I just wanna, can I finish with that thought? Because course, this yeah. is something that I actually brought up in the hearing two weeks ago with, with governor's uh, commissioner who was testifying, which is that we have an ageist society and we have ageism that permeates in our culture. And people know about, you know, people, we have addressed sexism since the 70s, we have, and the racism is institutionally addressed. But we do not do enough with ageist languages and ageism that is in our culture. As you can see, when governor has press conferences, he talks about, well, who cares if they died? Oh, who cares whether they're going to die anyways? I mean, those are, he, that's the yeah. type of language that normalizes uh, ageism against older adults and saying that when you almost making us think that when you go to nursing homes, you're you're getting ready to die anyways. Um, that's the kind of culture that we do have. So it is systemic um, and it's cultural that I think we need to also have uh, deeper discussions around. But policy obviously comes first that can fix that. So we have a lot of work to do. Katie, thank you so much. Thank Leslie, you so much. nice yeah. meeting you. 
Well, well it's, it's good to see you. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. Yeah. Keep up the courage. Thank yeah. you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. We'll have to find that. Um, uh, I'll ask him about the the ambulances another time. Do you know about that, David? By any chance? I've heard a little bit about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll look into it. For you, we'll look into it. Um, anything else you want to say? I mean, again, thank you so much for your time. No, been- I'm really glad. I really appreciate you. You know, giving Ron the uh, the chance to to speak and and us the the chance to talk about our reporting. Yeah. Um, you know, the the corporate immunity thing is is to so me is the, is the center of the story. Uh, and you know, I think. Cuomo has been relying on people thinking it's just some sort of esoteric conceptual issue, but it's actually, it's like the issue. It's, it's, yeah. it's the issue that plus the money tells a story about, uh, what's really at play here. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's incredible that it's, it, it, that, I mean, there's two things that's incredible. It's incredible. It's taken this long to, for people to, and the media to kind of key in on it, but it's also incredible that like the media, the national media is sort of finally keying into it. And Andrew Cuomo is sort of having to answer some questions. I mean, I think this is almost a classic uh, situation in which a guy has been in, in power for so long and doesn't think he, you know, is kind of an imperious, doesn't think he ever has to answer questions kind of situation. And he's finally kind of like deer in the headlights having to actually answer the most basic questions. It's really pathetic that it took this long for him to have to answer any questions, but you know what? Better late than never. Yeah. Um, I just want to, maybe we can, as a signing off, I, I think we should all watch this because I just think it's really inspiring. And this is, of course, as, as I mentioned, you know, one of Cuomo's very moving intersectional solidaristic statements. Um, so I'm just going to play this. Um, okay, hold on. As a New Yorker, I am a Muslim. As a New Yorker, I am Jewish. As a New Yorker, I am black. I am gay. I am disabled. I am a woman seeking to control her health and her choices. Because as a New Yorker, we are one community. As a New Yorker. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. It's so creepy. It's just, yeah. it's so, like, it's so creepy. I mean, just, that should like just really be his response. What'd you say? Terminator? Really like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like Terminator-ish. It's like somebody's got to tweak the programming on the on the back computer panel on his uh, <laughs> yeah, on his back. You it would know? be like, amazing to see him enter that like as a legal plea. Yeah, I, and you know, I mean, uh, to be frank, I I I I don't hold out a huge amount of hope that he's going to be held fully accountable. I, I think it's incredible that he's even being held. Uh, uh, sort of media accountable momentarily, but he's clearly a guy who's banked on never being actually held accountable. Yeah. The interesting thing is, is that if you actually think about the analog, it's kind of incredible. And I tweeted this today. It was like, Elliot Spitzer took on Wall Street in the same office. And Elliot Spitzer had to, you know, felt forced to resign amid a personal uh, sex scandal. Andrew Cuomo presided over 15,000 uh, nursing home deaths while he helped his donor grant a liability shield so for nursing home executives. 15,000 people died and he's still in office. So you had one governor who had who felt he had to resign over a personal sex scandal. You have another governor who feels he can just sort of stay in office and not face any consequences for 15,000 people dying on his watch while he's helping his donor 
grant immunity to the nursing home executives, and he's hiding the information about those deaths. Like, if you really step back at the 20,000, 50,000 foot view, you're like, wow. Like, yeah. And that was he he saw a, you know, what would we now call a sex work, like a, a, a an, an escort. This is Spitzer, right? This was right. not a case of sexual assault, sexual harassment. This was not a Lincoln Project story. This no, was a guy. But it, spe- having, it speaks to but the power the dynamic. Thing. Yeah, that's mm. so. So basically, if you, you go up against Wall hands. Street, right, right. If yes. you go up against Wall Street and you do anything wrong, you got to resign. Right. If you side with power in this case, the the big healthcare industry. Granted, Cuomo is facing scrutiny, but like he's still in office. Like there's just a different set of standards for you. And, and, you know, I mean, it goes to this larger culture of impunity in America that we've created where people, we talk a lot, there's a lot of rhetoric about law and order and getting tough on crime and all that stuff. But you know what? If, If you're siding with power, you, you can potentially get away with 15,000 elderly people dying while you're giving the nursing home executives uh, a shield from lawsuits and hiding the information. You can get away with that and stay in office. I mean, my hope is that the, is that, that dynamic changes, that we're finally at a turning point where it's like, actually, you can't get away with that. You got to go. That yeah. That's actually a much bigger crime than... Uh, a, a sex scandal, I mean, you know, right. without getting to the details of Spitzer and all. But like the point yeah, is, is that like, as, a, that's an important part yeah, also, as yeah. a societal matter, the death of 15,000 people oh is a bigger God. deal than yeah. what, what happened with, with Elliot Spitzer. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I can't help but thinking that like the, okay, Trump is gone, guys. Okay. Trump is not here. We don't like, we actually need to still be fighting against Trumpism, obviously. But like, why don't we now? Well, I know the answer, but like, imagine if MSNBC, certainly CNN can't really do it, but if they looked into this stuff, right? Like all the people who pretend to be, you know, liberals, not like Trump, like, okay, you probably don't want your like grandparents, your parents to be killed, to be let, to let, to be allowed to die because of a bottom, because of a corporate bottom line. Like, so this should be a a national scandal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And, 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 and the last thing I'll say on it is that you better believe this isn't only happening in New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is in, in those states that Ron talked about, states that passed similar immunity laws after New York passed their laws. I mean, you better believe that there's been some terrible things that have happened in those states. And, yeah. and, and to be clear, like, look, the pandemic is not Andrew Cuomo's fault, right? That's right. not his fault. Right. People are going to die in the pandemic. And that is a tragedy. So it's not to say that every single thing, every single horrible story is his fault. It's not. But it is to say that if not having immunity would have reduced the death toll, let's say let's let's just sure. let's say by 10 percent. How about 20 percent? 20 percent of 15,000 is 3000 people. That's 3000 human beings. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. You know, and like we have to I think I think we're living now in a moment where these numbers are so big that it's hard right. to process. But that's like, you know, 15 percent of those nursing home residents who died is more than the number of New Yorkers, I think, who died on 9-11. Yeah. Right. Like that's a huge number of yeah. people. Yeah. Right. That's a, so. So think about the reaction that we had to 9-11 versus the reaction that we kind of had to yeah. the nursing home situation. And, and and it's not to make a value judgment, but it's just to say that, you know, 9-11, we, we, we literally had a one trillion dollar yeah. war. We had, like, went to a war, a whole societal yeah. reorientation, the war on terror. Like, ask well, yourself, like, why, yeah. why hasn't the response been similar to this? And, Which and, are- and 
part of the answer has to do with the power dynamic in America. Which would mean if really for the, the response to be similar would require that we go and invade like the um, the governor's mansion in <laughs> the New York Department in, of Health. Well, no, in like in New Jersey or something or like, you know, Massachusetts, because obviously, you know, just to, to trace back the WMD relationship to Afghanistan, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, right. all that. Yeah. Right. You're welcome, everyone. Um, well, David, thank you again so much. And really. Um, oh, last thing, if you could just maybe thread the needle here. If you'd like a sentence, because I know you wrote a piece about this, but about the connection between this story, which on its face seems very different, this story and the Lincoln Project. Sure. Um, uh, the only point that, that was made in that piece was, was uh, it's an important point, which is that the media tends to build up many of the uh, people and institutions that are at the center of our problems. And the Lincoln Project situation, it's very similar to Cuomo. Uh, the Lincoln Project was populated by Republican operatives who created most of the problems that they then suddenly purported to be the solutions to those problems in order to make themselves, uh, to rake in $90 million, $50 million of which went into their own political consulting firms. And at the time that that was happening, the media kept uh, the national media uh, kept presenting them, that was key to their strategy, as credible experts on protecting the democracy that they had spent 20 or 30 years trying to destroy. Right? I mean, their whole premise, if you actually thought about it for more than one second, was that arsonists are the best people to put out fires that they themselves created. Right? And the media created that. They cre And big shocker, at the end of the day, you know, right-wing uh, Republicans ended up being, guess what, right-wing Republicans. Right. Uh, their organization was, uh, you know, completely unethical. They had all sorts of scandals. And then when the scandals were exposed uh, at the Lincoln Project, they reverted right to form by trying to intimidate people uh, uh, from speaking out. Right. And right. everyone's like, I can't believe this. Why would this group do what? They're, they're right-wing Republicans. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the exactly, founder yeah. of the Lincoln Project has been bragging even recently that he led the campaign to put Sam Alito and John Roberts on the Supreme Court. Like, you're the, these are the defenders of democracy? No. That was a business model right. designed to, to, to tell liberals, get, essentially, they, they saw a business opportunity. And the point, the reason the Cuomo situation and the Lincoln Project situation are connected is that they were both creations of a media that didn't want to ask questions, that wanted a star or a set of stars and didn't want to ask questions. And, you know, when finally the charade couldn't cover up the reality, you know, it's a moment for us to step back and say, you know what, the why are we asking these questions in real time? Like, why do we have to wait for things to get absurd, ridiculous, and terrible for a media to ask questions that are very obvious in real time. Like eight months ago, people should have been asking questions. Why is Andrew Cuomo trying to immunize or grant mm -hmm. a corporate liability shield to nursing home executives and also the death toll in nursing homes is high? Why wasn't eight months ago media folks who were paid, that's their job, why weren't they asking questions of like, wait a minute, the right-wing Republicans are the ones who are going to save our democracy? Like, these are the ethical people in politics? Right. Like, why does it, the why do we have to wait until yeah. things get uh, get terrible to ask these obvious questions? And I'd also like to give Bill Maher a shout out for, um, and it's so cyclical. It's like, so, so um, uh, Steve Schmidt uh, writes a letter of resignation from the Lincoln Project where he cites his own um, experience with a camp nurse named Gay Ray, I don't know if you read his resignation letter, but he re really is trying to weaponize the fact that something, it's terrible that something happened to him at his summer camp when he was 13. 
he uses that to deflect from the fact that he's been shielding this guy who's a predator who has uh, John Weaver. Leslie, I'll, I'll play you. I'll show you some of this later because you will absolutely lose it. But he he go, he writes this letter, this letter of resignation. We now know he knew about John Weaver's behavior. And John Weaver is someone who, um, you know, was engaged in, in predatory behavior with um, at least one underage person, a 14-year-old, someone as young as 14. Um, and uh, but several, you know, hundreds of young men have come forward with the disgusting like messages he sent them and offering them to offering to hook them up professionally. But um, so Steve Schmidt, first Rick Wilson, who's like, I don't know who's grosser, the two of them, but Rick Wilson pretends he didn't know um, in a video that then, of course, plugs his show. I don't even know what his terrible show is called. He's another Lincoln Project guy. Then Steve Schmidt, he he releases this letter, um, resignation. Also, he converted to Judaism, which I didn't know. But thanks for letting us know that was also in the letter. <laughs> oh, um, well, yeah, are you going, are you welcome him? Uh, no, we're going to know. We're going to know. Mazel tov, yeah. And he at the end of this thing where he says he had no idea and talks about how he's dealt with depression and anger and sought guidance here and there. And he goes, and I'll, you know, please see me tonight on the Bill Maher show. So he plugs his media appearance on the Bill Maher show and Bill Maher has him on it's the day of his resignation amidst this total sexual harassment um, predatory scandal. And what does Bill Maher do? Yeah, he asks him about the other disgusting thing that the Lincoln uh, Project does, which is uh, it's just a lobbyist for itself and all the the way it gave itself all these contracts, right? Like you, you know, like much much less significant though. Like that's 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 Bill Maher like grilling Steve Schmidt. He doesn't ask him anything about this abuser that he that he enabled for years or fine, just ask him like give him the benefit of the doubt. Be like, how did you not know? Well, now that you know, what are you going to do? Fine doesn't even come up. The guy doesn't come up. John Weaver, the co-founder who has harassed all these young men, doesn't come up. And then you get the Daily Beast praising Marr for grilling him. Yeah, he grilled him. He asked him about finance stuff. He didn't ask him about this predator who they founded the super PAC with and, and pretended not to know about. It was it's so infuriating. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I, know, yeah. I, I wish I was surprised, but I I'm know. Not. Yeah. Well, anyway, but thank you so much, David. And come back on. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you so yes. much. It's good to see both you. of you. Thank you for having Thank me. You. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. I can't even tell you about that part of it. It's so terrible. So terrible. Um, heavy it's stuff so in the heavy stuff in the first hour uh, yeah, and a half, folks. But uh, serious, but important stuff. And uh, thank Import, you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for supporting. And Katie, I just want to say, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown when you told me who was on this show. Like you do such. Oh, a wonderful job every week uh, getting the piss people on. And frankly, you need to stop it because you're making us all, the rest of us look bad. Yeah, right. Um, well, someone, no. no. Oh, and I want someone was like, oh, you didn't look grateful at all. I, I was grateful for the very incredibly generous donations. I'm sorry. I was just, I felt weird because we're talking about and, and right. keep them coming. But we were talking, the reason I looked kind of sober was because we were talking about like, Ron Kim's um, thousands of people yeah, that would be dying his, and his uncle but really thank you um, I'm going to so guys we didn't even we, we barely kept it out of the uh, we kept it in the bag we have such an amazing uh, part two thanks so much for listening to the Katie Halper show remember to hear the great discussion I have with Brianna Joy Gray Ed Angueso Justin Jackson and Trevor Bilio please become members of the Katie Halper show Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper show again that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper show the Katie Halper Show was edited by Brad Bloom. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. And research is provided by Joshua Bregman. See you next time.